Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the one that was worthy to proclaim the gospel, that he and he alone is the worthy Lamb to redeem us to you. May we be ever mindful of this, that we would live lives that glorify you in all we do. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Have you ever received news that just seems too good to be true, and you find it hard to believe? For Julie and I, it happened about eight months ago. I went home from church, and she wasn't there yet, which was a little bit unusual because she usually heads home before me, although sometimes she stops at the grocery store, but she gives me a heads up. I thought it was peculiar, but I was not too worried, so I laid down and rested, and a few moments later, she came home, not carrying bags from Sprouts, but carrying a bag from Walgreens. And I said, are you all right? And she said, yes, I'm fine. And then she pulled out not one, but two pregnancy tests. I wasn't completely surprised by the fact that she had gone out and bought a pregnancy test, though I did find it a little bit peculiar that she had bought two. But I also know her well enough to not find that overwhelmingly odd. And I said, oh, I guess we're going to take one of those. And so she went into the bathroom and she did the pregnancy test thing, which I won't describe in any detail, because you either know how it's done or you can go home and look it up. Or don't look it up, it's up to you. And we waited, and we saw two pink lines, one very bright and one very dim. And she said, well, what does that mean? I said, well, it says on the box that it means you're pregnant. And she said, but the line is dim. And I said, yeah, but it still probably means you're pregnant. She said, well, I'm going to try the other one. <laughs> okay. So she goes, does the pregnancy test thing again and comes out, and sure enough, two lines. And she says, what does that mean? And I said, well, it still means that you're pregnant. She said, I don't, I don't think so. I'm going to call Kristen, our good friend. She calls Kristen, and she says, Kristen, what does it mean? And she, Kristen, of course, also says, it means you're pregnant. For us, the news that we were finally having a child after waiting for, for so long to meet each other and hoping for so long that we would find a husband or a wife that wanted children and that could have children. The news that we were having a child so quickly after we got married was hard to believe, but it was good news. St. Mark's account wastes no time. That seems to be his mark in, if, so to speak, of his gospel. Matthew wants to show how much of a man Jesus was. He shows different things that Jesus did in his miracles. St. Luke shows that this really happened. He spends a long time giving various details about, Luke, about, about uh, Jesus' birth, about historical things that were happening. And John has this beautiful discourse about the importance of Jesus Christ, our Lord, about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, our Lord. But Mark, Mark just gets down to business 
and gets rolling. It starts with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I've noted, having read through Mark in a fair amount of detail, that I think Mark's favorite word is immediately. I think I counted in the first chapter, he uses it nine times. And so Mark has an urgency that the other gospel writers don't seem to to have. And he dives in and starts at the beginning, the very first thing that Jesus does in his proclamation of his gospel. Now, in case you forgot, because we hear the word gospel every Sunday, or perhaps we reread it as we read the gospel accounts, we may forget what it actually means. Gospel means good news. Gospel means good news, but before Mark tells us what this good news is, he wants us to be sure that we see the evidence that Jesus is believable, that the good news that we find in Christ is worthy to be heard, worthy to be received. More importantly, he wants to set up the stage that we might understand that Jesus alone is the worthy lamb that makes the good news possible. And so the first sign, the witness of John to the worthiness of the lamb. It was necessary that one would prepare the way for Christ. Prepare the way was predicted in Isaiah 43, which Mark spells out for us as he writes, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John prepares the way as it was predicted in Isaiah. And thus it is the first sign that his ministry would come first. But John is more than just some guy out in the wilderness telling people to repent. John was the second necessary, second Elijah. If we were to go to 2 Kings 1.18, we would read an almost word-for-word description of Elijah that matches John's. That John was clothed in a cam- in, with camel's hair and wore leather belt around his waist as Elijah was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around the waist. Mark says, look, the one that came before has come to make ready the way of Jesus Christ, to make ready the way of the worthy one, the worthy lamb. And John tells us this as well, as he tells of one who is mightier than he is. John tells us the truth of Jesus. John, a righteous man who goes out to preach repentance, to call the nation back to God, knows that there is one greater than him, for there is no righteousness greater than Christ. And only in Christ are our deeds made worthy. Only in Christ do we find that hope. And so Jesus comes and is baptized He is baptized with the people, with the same baptism that they are baptized, but he does not need to repent, but rather he is bound to them. He shares with them the same thing that they share. 
It is the sign of the beginning of his ministry, the sign of his anointing. And that brings us to the second sign. The worthy lamb is anointed by God the Father through the Holy Spirit. Before we dive into the profoundness of this moment, we want to understand a little bit about the working of the Holy Trinity. The Trinity has one, is one, not three. He has one essence in three persons. <clears throat> Your $20 word for perhaps even like the next six months is the hypostatic union of Christ. That is, in Jesus Christ, he was fully God and fully man. Both existed in him. But there's a weird heresy that seems to be going around this year, this work around conservative Christianity. And that is that the will of Christ is somehow subordinate to the will of the Father. If we do this, suddenly he does not contain the fullness of God in him. But rather, he contains the will of God the Father, just as the Holy Spirit shares the same will. Christ shares the same will. And in this moment of their baptism, we see that they work together to work out our salvation. Three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, working together with one will to show, yes, indeed, Christ is the worthy lamb, that Christ, that he is the one who will take away the sins of the world. And had the heavens tear open as this happens. Don't imagine some tear where you walk by a nail and your pants rip just a little bit. Imagine a cloth ripping in half. Imagine, if you will, the curtains of the temple ripping in two. It's no mistake that this foreshadows that opening so that the glory of God might be experienced by all people through Christ. The heavens rip open, tear open, that Christ might make his way, might make our way to the kingdom of heaven. Are there some things in this world that you delight in? deeply in. I think we've all had those moments where we see something beautiful, something delightful that makes our hearts glad. As I was preparing this, I thought of two. The first was when I bought my wife her ring and I got it for the first time and was able to inspect it. It glimmered, it shined, there was intricate detail. And my heart was glad, not simply because it was beautiful, but because of what it represented. The other happened last week, when my little girl came into the world. And my heart leapt for joy. For those of you who have held a child for the first time, you know that feeling of joy. That overwhelming feeling that can't be described by anything. I delight in my daughter. In the anointing of the Spirit, the Father blesses the Son. And he says, in you I am well pleased, but this word also means 
I delight. And I think this is what he's describing. When we see that beautiful thing for the first time, whether it be a child or something that represents something so important to us, or the sunset or some other thing, Jesus is whom God delights. And this is the second sign of Jesus' worthiness. God delights in him. But my friends, there's some good news in this as well. A gospel implication, if you will. If you are in Christ, you have been made sons and daughters of God. And God, just as he delights in Jesus, delights in you. He looks upon you and marvels at you. And the third sign is the wilderness tempting of Jesus. Jesus, the worthy lamb, has overcome Satan. This is the shortest temptation narrative of the three, uh, three synoptic gospels. But we know that Jesus overcomes Satan, is tempted by him for 40 days, and yet does not fall. Here, too, there is hope. We have all experienced temptation in this life. We have all fallen into temptation and failed to, be, to, failed to stand up against Satan. And that can feel lonely, that can feel painful, that can feel hard. But Jesus took the full brunt of temptation. Where you and I have failed to stand up against that temptation... Jesus did not fail, which means he made it from the beginning of that temptation to the very hardest end and overcame Satan so that you and I are free from the power of Satan. He no longer has power over you. He has freed us from Satan's awful accusations. And so... We often end this gospel lesson a little bit early, but I added a few verses because really this, this narrative part goes on and it wraps up really nicely. We start with the beginning of the gospel and then we end with Jesus proclaiming what that gospel is. Jesus proclaims the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe. The gospel of God, as, as Mark intentionally uses a different phrase. He starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ and then says the gospel of God. And this might seem like a strange little detail, but it's no mistake on the part of Mark. Mark is subtly but importantly saying, Jesus is God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of God and the gospel of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Jesus is that second person of the Trinity. And so that gospel, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. The kingdom of heaven is at hand means that you and I have been invited as citizens into the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom that will not fail. 
A kingdom that will not be corrupted by the world. A kingdom where you can believe its leader because its leader is God himself. A kingdom where we are free from our sins. A kingdom where we are equal because we are all created in the image and likeness of God. A kingdom without pain, without suffering, without misery. Repent. My favorite description of this, I like to steal from J.I. Packer. He describes it as an army, and they're marching in one direction, and they hear the words about face, and they all know that it means to turn and march in the opposite direction. Repentance is this about face. If we are marching towards sin, we are marching away from God. And yet, repentance calls us to do a full about face, to turn and march towards our eternal destiny, to march towards God, to march towards the kingdom of heaven. And we do this when we believe. This isn't some vague belief. This isn't just a nice feeling. Believe in yourself and everything will be just fine. We believe in something specific, and we believe something specific. We believe that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that Christ Jesus died to set us free from our sins, and that Christ Jesus rose again to new life. We believe that Christ Jesus is the worthy lamb who makes this possible for us. The worthy lamb who makes us citizens of the kingdom of heaven, who opens the gates that we, like Moses as we read this morning, may gaze on the glory of the Father, may gaze and delight and believe. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so, my friends, this morning, as we read Mark's gospel, he reminds us that Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy of hearing. Jesus is worthy of heeding. Jesus, most importantly, is worthy of believing in. Therefore, you are invited to worship this worthy Lamb, if you're struggling with sins this morning, will you repent, do an about face, and head back towards God? Will you believe that the Lamb came to take away the sins of the world, take away your sins? Will you worship the Lamb? Will you worship Him with your hearts, your souls, and your bodies? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.